This week, well, we look back at a really good year for the Toronto Argonauts. 1991 was that good year. Paul Woods will join us to talk about his new book, The Year of the Rocket. Plus, we get to play some football this week. We tee up the Labor Day Classic. Crack your beers, gentlemen. It's time for the Argos FanCast. You can find us at Argos FanCast and anywhere you find your friendly neighborhood podcast. Just search Argos FanCast. I am Clay Chisholm. You can find me at all kinds of Clay on the Twitter and Instagram machines. And joining us, as always, our resident historian from ArgoFans.com. He is our VP of Football Operations, Will Gertler, MBA. Good evening, everybody. You can find me on Twitter at ArgoFans or join www.argofans.com. And from the double blue order, Sir Douglas of House Ballinger, second of his name, Lord of Section 160, Warden of the South Side, and Protector of the Realm. Okay, before I continue, I have to mention one thing. The timing on that crack open the beer, that was amazing. That was friggin' great. Love that. You can find our group, The Double Blue Order, on Facebook at facebook.com slash double blue order, on Twitter at double blue order, and on Instagram at the double blue order. We've looked back on on years past, but you know, one of the better years, at least – in our memories, is probably 1991. That was a really good year for the Toronto Argonauts. And, Will, we've got actually one of one of your friends joining us. Yes, um, we have uh, pleased to have Paul Woods, who is the author of Year of the Rocket, John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, a Crooked Tycoon, and the Craziest Season in Football History. The book is going to be coming out tomorrow, and you can pre-order it through Amazon or through the publisher Sutherland House. But it is a, uh, you know, Paul wrote a book about the 1983 Argos about 10 years ago, and he's followed that up now with uh, a book about the 1991 Toronto Argonauts. So we're joined by the author of Year of the Rocket, the story of John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, a crooked tycoon, and the craziest season in football history, Paul Woods. So, Paul, uh, first, uh, just start out by uh, telling uh, everybody where they could purchase the book. I understand it's going to be out uh, tomorrow. Yes, uh, thank you, Will. It is. Uh, it's uh, its official launch date is tomorrow. Um, it will be in stores. It will be in chapters Indigo. Uh, it'll be in independent bookstores in Canada. Uh, I hope it'll be in some bookstores in the United States. I know they have received some orders from from stores down there. I was told today a couple of hundred orders from the U.S. have come in, and these are not specifically to the publisher, but to but from bookstores like Barnes and Noble. Um, I did ask today at Sutherland House whether they thought they would be in chapters tomorrow, and the feeling was probably not. Because they only got shipped today, uh, it was it was received yesterday at uh, at the warehouse, and shipping I believe went out today. So uh, I mean, it's possible some of them were shipped yesterday from the warehouse to Ch- Chapters stores, but I don't know Chapters Indigo's distribution system. So it may be a day or two before it's it's actually on the shelves there, but it will be by the weekend I'm sure. And of course it's orderable online through 
all of the usual channels through through Amazon, through Chapters Indigo, um, if you're in the U.S., through Barnes & Noble. Uh, and you can also order, order it through the publisher, Sutherland House. And uh, I don't know how long they're going to keep their discount offer up, but there's a discount offer, at least right now, that gives a nice 20% discount on orders if you go straight to Sutherland House. Uh, so uh, if anybody's looking for the links, you can find me on, on Twitter, at PXW13, and there's a, there's a link on my profile that has links to the various places you can order it. Or go to your store. And if you, if you have a, a local independent bookstore, I would really encourage you to support them. They need... They need help. Uh, I love I love my independent bookstore here in Burlington, a different drummer. And, uh, you know, I know that those guys will be stocking the book as well. And we will tweet that at, that out as well from our the various accounts we have as well. So you can look for that that as well if you uh, don't see Paul Woods tweet there. Thank you very much. And just just so everybody knows, we are recording this on a two on Tuesday, August 31st. So the release date is September 1st. For everybody who's uh, first keeping track, as it's podcast, so people listen to it at a different time. So that's a great point. I'm talking live, and of course, it's not necessarily being heard live. So thank you for pointing that out. So what what was the genesis of this book aside from the, the you know the very important anniversary this year, it being 30 years since yeah the rocket in the Grey Cup. Well, I mean, a lot of your a lot of your listeners will know uh, that I wrote a book uh, that came out in 2013 called Bouncing Back from National Joke to Grey Cup Champs, uh, which told the story of the, the Argos winning the Grey Cup in 1983, ending a 31 year drought. Um, that was my first book. Uh, it was uh, my first foray into long form writing. And I, w- I had I had a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I was very satisfied with the results. I thought the book was a, really successful. It, it, I think it it did justice to a really good story. Uh, and I had it in the back of my mind way back then. I got to do another one. And as much as I loved that 1983 team, and I really did, Convert Holloway, Terry Greer, Paul Pearson, and so on and so forth. Um, I knew the 1991 team was an amazing story, that it was it was a team I obviously loved. And they of course, they won the championship and what Argo fan doesn't like that. But it was it was I knew that like the, the story arc of 1991 was amazing. And so uh, I had it in the back of my mind after the book came out in 2013. Um, writing that book, uh, Bouncing Back, got me a, a commissioned book project where I wrote the history of a company called Lewis Craft. Uh, and I and I was paid to do it. And and I, I basically from that point, I put the money into an account with the intention that that is going to cover my costs to write a book about the 91 Argos. And there are costs. I mean, I had to travel to do interviews. I hire a transcriber to transcribe them. I hire an editor to work with me. Uh, there's a lot of costs associated with doing it. And so all the money that I received from writing the Lewis Craft book was put into an account with the sole and express purpose of doing this book about, about 1991. Uh, I ended up going back to work full time for a couple of years at the Toronto Star from 2014 to 2016. So I couldn't really tackle the project until I left that job at the end of 2016. And as soon as 2017 arrived, I started working on it and I've been doing it for more than four and a half years and now it's here and I, I got it in my hands today for the first time and what a great feeling that is. So obviously a major part of the story is the purchase of the Argonauts by the trio of Bruce McNall, who was the owner of the Los Angeles Kings, uh, Canadian actor John Candy and of course Wayne Gretzky. 
Do you remember what your initial reaction was to either the rumors of the purchase by that that group or or your reaction to when the sale actually took place? Well, I was overjoyed, Will. I mean, it was as a, as an Argo fan, I was living out west at the time. I was in Edmonton with, with my family. Uh, and so we were following the Argos to some extent from a distance, although I still got to see them play a number of times in 91. And, and I followed them. In fact, I still had season's tickets uh, at the Sky Dome, I think, in 91, although I couldn't really use them. Uh, maybe they were gone. I think I, I had the season's tickets until 90, actually. But, um, but I was overjoyed because things had been going downhill for the Argos business-wise, for a number of years, really, since, since um, most of the 1980s were not a good year, were not a good decade for the Argos from a from a point of view of business and 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 fan support and sales. They they saw attendance dwindle after winning the Grey Cup in '83, and it just kept dwindling. Um, they changed hands at the end of 1988. Were bought by Harry Ornest, who was a very interesting character. Who warrants a chapter in the book, and and in fact, he, arguably a Harry Harrier deserves a whole book unto himself, uh, but he does have a chapter in 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 this book. Um, but he was similar to the previous owner, Car- the Carling O'Keefe Brewery, in that he didn't want to spend any money on on marketing the team, and so they were they were the interest was dying. They you know were not getting big crowds. They were not even getting big crowds for for the home playoff games in '89 and '90. And despite having an amazing team in 1990, maybe the greatest Argo team that never won a Grey Cup, arguably, was the 1990 Argos. Uh, and they were the greatest offensive machine the CFL's ever seen, in my opinion. But they didn't have great fan support. And so to be suddenly, and the league was struggling too, Will. And so to go from, from that sort of context, and all of a sudden, the greatest hockey player of all time, Wayne Gretzky, the greatest Canadian actor, comedian, of all time, John Candy, and Bruce McNall, who we all thought at the time was uh, a zillionaire with a Midas touch, who, who everything he everything he touched became successful. That was just overwhelmingly positive at, at the time. Now, there's been a lot of uh, stories about um, uh, John Candy and the amount of effort that he put in to the to this uh the 1991 argos um what were some of the 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 stories that that you heard from people about how much john candy put in and and i've even heard they had to uh put a budget and time constraints on on what he could give to the argos well clay that you're right about john he i mean he was he was all in in 1991, he put his he put his acting career on hold, and it's important to remember he was a gigantic star at that time. He had he had been in planes, trains, and automobiles, which was a huge success. He'd been in Uncle Buck, which is a, which is an enormous success. He he could earn well over a million dollars for for a motion picture if he was in a starring role. I think I think he may have made as much as three million dollars on some of his movies back then. He put that entire career on hold for the year to do nothing but work on supporting the Argos and the Canadian Football League. Uh, he went to every Argo game all through the 91 season, including the road games. And when he went to a road game, he wasn't, wasn't just at the game. He would, he would show up the, a full day before the game in the city 
and go to every radio station in the morning through drive time and 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 tout the game. Talk, come to the game tomorrow night. Buy tickets. If, you, if enough people buy tickets, we're going to get the blackout lifted. He was promoting the hell out of the the league, and he was working actively on the 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 uh, the, the the league itself. He was he became the chair of the expansion committee, and of course, you know, people will remember the league expanded for for three years, ninety three to ninety five, into the U S. And that was driven into a large extent by by what the McNall group wanted to do. Their vision was to make the league bigger and more financially successful. And John, again, he threw himself in with with full abandon. He he was, you know, he attended board of governors meetings that lasted 10 hours. He uh, and, and he was doing all kinds of stuff for the Argonauts. He was the players. You know, one day somebody mentioned in passing, boy, it would sure be nice if we had cappuccinos in the locker room. And like a day later, there was a cappuccino machine in the locker room. Uh, he flew players home in his private jet from some games, some individual players, like the stars of the game were allowed to fly with John. He was hosting dinners for the entire team up at his, up at his, uh, ranch slash farm north of the city. Uh, he was going out for, for meals and drinks with players constantly. Uh, he was just doing everything. He was sweeping the locker room floor. Uh, you know, he, honestly, John, John just never stopped. Uh, and I mean, it, it, it's interesting. You mentioned about the budget. He, one of the things that is in the book, people will, will read it when, when they get it in their hands, is that uh, he didn't have maybe the same sense of budgeting that a, that a business exec normally would have. He, he wanted to spend gobs and gobs of money on commercials. He wanted, he wanted Chris Columbus, who became one of the biggest directors in Hollywood later on. You know, he directed the first couple of Harry Potter movies and he was a huge director. He had, John had worked with Chris Columbus on a movie and he want, John wanted him to direct an Argo commercial. Uh, and of course, those guys don't come cheap. So, you know, Brian uh, Cooper, who was the, the chief operating officer and the executive vice president of the Argos, had to had to rein John in a little bit at times. Uh, and by year two, he had to kind of get his career back going. So he wasn't quite as involved, but he was still going to almost every home game. He was still talking up expansion. He was still vetting potential owners he did a lot. He, he found an owner for the Ottawa Rough Riders in 91 when they went bankrupt. Um, and for better or worse, it was the Gliebermans. And a lot of people think the Gliebermans were, were a disastrous ownership group. But they brought money into the league when it needed it. They brought money into Ottawa when there was nobody else willing to buy that team. Uh, so John was John was everything that was needed. He, he did anything you could imagine. There was not a single person I interviewed for this book and I interviewed more than 100 people. There was not a single person who had a bad word to say about John Candy. And most of the people I spoke to absolutely loved the man. He is one of the two real heroes in this story. Looking through, uh, so Paul has uh, started up a YouTube channel for his, uh, uh, his book where he's posting interesting tid uh, i'll call them interesting clips from news reports or the homeboys network which i find uh <laughs> not sure would fly in 2021 but <laughs> yeah one of the videos is of a shocked chris berman mel kuyper and joe theisman on the day of the draft in 1991 looking absolutely stunned that Rocket Ishmael, who was supposed to be the number one draft pick that year, had signed with the Argonauts. What was yeah. the what made the Rocket 
the person that McNall wanted to make a splash by signing? Well, he was he was the biggest name in U.S. college football by far. Uh, he was he was playing at Notre Dame, which of course is the probably the preeminent. Uh, college football school in the United States. They're not maybe as successful as Alabama or Clemson, but but they have a gigantic following. Uh, and they were huge at the time. They were one of the top ranked schools during Rockets, excuse me, Rockets three years at Notre Dame. Uh, and he was a brilliant star. I mean, he twice in college, he returned two kickoffs for touchdowns in a single game. I mean, that's just an astonishing feat. And he tended to do his his biggest plays at the biggest moments. And when the, when the game was on the line, Rocket would uncork an unbelievable touchdown run. His average his average touchdown at Notre Dame over the three years was 62 yards. So you could get a sense that he was a big playmaker. Uh, and he was a great looking guy with a fantastic nickname, Rocket. And he was the fastest player in football I mean, Bill Walsh, who was, you know, longtime San Francisco 49ers coach and and the head of football operations and a huge football expert. He said Rocket is not only fast, but he's got functional football speed. He can fly while making football plays. There's lots of fast guys. You know, Bob Hayes was a hundred hundred meter, hundred yard champion back in the sixties and came and played with the Dallas Cowboys and he was pretty good. And there've been lots of lots of sprinters who have tried to play and a lot of them are super fast, but you gotta be able to make plays at a fast speed. And Rocket could make plays at a fast speed better than anybody. So you add up the name recognition, the brand recognition, his ability uh, and and Bruce McNall's determination to make a gigantic splash. Uh, he when he when he took over the team, he told his executives, including General Manager Michael McCarthy, think big, because he had thought big in in L.A. He'd, he'd taken over the L.A. Kings in the late '80s, and he figured out a way to get Wayne Gretzky out of the Edmonton Oilers and down to the Kings. And for the first time in the 20 years that the Kings existed, they mattered in the gigantic market of California because of getting the biggest star, Wayne Gretzky. So McNall wanted something similar. And, you know, you talk about that, that Chris Berman and Joe Theismann and Chris Mortensen clip where they're just, they're sort of stunned. I mean, it was, talk about making a big splash. I mean, they signed Rocket on a, on a Saturday night between periods of an Edmonton Oilers LA Kings playoff game, uh, signed the 24 page personal services contract. And they, it, it was it was announced officially on the Sunday morning, which was when ESPN's coverage of the NFL draft began. Nowadays, ESPN runs, a, you know, the draft coverage runs on for about 14 days, it seems. And, you know, primetime on Thursday, primetime on Friday, just endless. But in those days, it was a one day shot. It was a Sunday event. And. Yes, it was one of it's still one of the biggest events on ESPN's calendar at the time because they didn't have all the properties they have now. And they had to open that broadcast by saying the biggest name is off the board. Rocket Ismail has flown to Canada. Talk about undercutting the NFL and making that's why it made the front page of the New York Times and USA Today. It was the biggest sports story in North America and arguably the biggest sports story in the world that day. Uh, Paul, without social media, it's much harder to gauge the reaction in the 90s as opposed to doing something like this today. But um, we know that this latest offseason, the Argos were met with, well, derision because of the because of the quote unquote spending spree that we did in free agency. Yeah. 
What was the reaction of the other seven teams when the Rockets signed with Toronto back in 91? It was mixed. I mean, they there were there were a lot of people saying this is going to be the ruination of the CFL. We we this is going to price us all out of the ballpark. We can't we can't possibly upend our salary structure this way. I mean, you got to remember the CFL at that time. It was it was not an enforced salary cap, but there was a salary cap of three million dollars per team for all the players combined on that team. And they paid Rocket four and a half million dollars by himself. So he himself was making 150 percent of the entire rest of the Argonauts roster. Uh, so there were there you you go back and watch some of those clips or you read some of the newspaper clippings in the days that followed Rocket signing and there were there were naysayers there were people like Normie Kwong who was the general manager of the Stampeders saying this is terrible this is a bad idea but there were also people saying man this is bringing a hell of a lot of attention to the CFL Huey Campbell who was the who at that time was the general manager of the Edmonton Eskimo says said at the time uh, you know it was great to see the NFL people squirming on that draft. We needed a shot in the arm. This is a gigantic shot in the arm. We're all going to benefit from this. So it was mixed reaction. A lot of fans out in the other cities were furious. Like the they thought the Argos were trying to buy the Grey Cup, and they already had a really stacked team heading into the league season without Rocket. So you know fans were not happy about it, uh, but and executives were worried. Uh, but also a lot of executives realized the business model that we have at the time is failing. We got teams going bankrupt. We got teams that can't find owners. Maybe having a guy like this will bring in some U.S. TV dollars. Maybe it'll bring more people into the buildings. And it did do that, by the way. I mean, when the Argos went on the road in 91, they got giant crowds in, in every city they went to. They had 50,000 in B.C. Place, the biggest crowd the Lions had. They had the biggest crowd I think any of the teams had that year was, was the, when the Argos visited. So the Rocket did very much. He 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 did live up to the hype on the field. He caught 64 passes for 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, so there's no doubt. Uh, and he did uh, single-handedly win them a few games. Um, talk about in talking to the players. Did you get the sense that he was well liked in the locker room, in spite of the fact he was making? so much more than everybody else yes he absolutely was he was he was he was almost to a man they said he was a good teammate they liked rocket they they he they thought he was a a respectful quiet shy young man who fit in well to team activities he had a lot of fun if you're watching on the youtube seeing some of that new jack stuff where the day before the game they would all do these crazy dances and raps and 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 backflips rocket was an avid participant in that stuff the players did genuinely like the guy they uh, and he and, and you're right. Well, I mean, he became by the end of the season, he was a fantastic weapon on the field. He hadn't really caught a lot of passes at Notre Dame. He had to he had to learn to become a pass receiver. Uh, he only caught four passes in the first four games of 1991. But by the end of the year, as you said, he had 64. He was I, I would say the, the coming down the stretch, the last five or six games of that year, he was the most dangerous receiver in the league. Uh, and that, that the league had a lot of good receivers back then, including his teammate Daryl K. Smith and Alan Pitts in Calgary and others. But he was a weapon on the field, and his teammates loved him. Uh, where he got into problems was he wasn't able to be the Wayne Gretzky of, foot, of Canadian football the way the, the brass had wanted him to be because he was shy and quiet and, and not looking for media attention. And that's exactly not what they needed off the field. Yeah, I mean, if you... 
I encourage everybody, there's a few games from that season posted on YouTube, but just go watch the, there's a game between Toronto and Calgary, I believe from October, and the Argos were down in that game, and, you know, in the fourth quarter, Ricky Foggy throws an 89-yard touchdown pass to Daryl Smith to, you know, bring the Argos closer, but then the Rocket returns a punt later that quarter for the game, for a touchdown for the game-winning uh, points and the you know Daryl Smith's probably arguably the second best receiver in team history, but the noise for the Rocket was just that much more. Oh yeah, he 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 ignited the building so often that season and even around the league. I mean, he you watch the first game of that year and when he the first pass that was thrown to him, the buzz in the building was unbelievable. And then of course he his first big play in Canadian football was was a big big return on it on a on a reverse from Pinball Clemens on a punt. And the speed was just breathtaking. And the footage of that, when you watch the video of that, and you, I don't, I don't know if I posted that yet on YouTube, but I probably, I probably will if I haven't because I've got it. Uh, it, it, the, 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 the look. There's, a, there's an older guy in the audience, in the, in the crowd, and the look on his face is just like astonishment. Uh, he really was something else to see. And, you know, that punt return you talked about against Calgary, not only did it win them the game, it was his first punt return touchdown of the season. Uh, came again, like in typical Rocket fashion. It came when it mattered the most, when the game was on the line with two minutes to go in a game they were trailing. Um, he just had a, he had a flair for the dramatic. And, and there are times that year when he, something, he does something on the field and Sky Dome goes just bananas. Now, I'm going to move to some of the other players on on the team. So part of the, the Balancing Back book, uh, you know, it, I think a chapter or two is dedicated to, you know, the Joe Barnes, Conridge Holloway duo, a quarterback. But uh, this team also had probably uh, not as well-known um not as well known of a quarterback duo, but Ricky Foggy and Matt Dunnigan, they had something that was approaching comparable. Yes, they did. And, and, and I mean, that was, you know, that, that was in some ways that was, that was uh, almost sheer luck. Not, I mean, not quite. Mike McCarthy did a very crafty thing. Uh, 1990 was when Matt arrived, Matt Dunnigan, who was, and it, and it may be easy to forget this now, but at the time the Argos got Matt Dunnigan in 1990, he was unquestionably the premier quarterback in Canadian football, and he'd been that way for about five or six years. He had been with the Eskimos and then the Lions, and he was the marquee player in the CFL, basically. The Argos get him in 1990. They, they introduce an amazing offense that was masterminded by Adam Rita under the head coach of Don Matthews, and uh, Dunnigan was fabulous for the offense, but he couldn't stay healthy. He kept getting injured. And so, you know, they're, they're down in, in August of, of 1990. They're five or six games into the season. Dunnigan's hurt again. Well, actually, at that time, he would have been hurt for the first time of, of what became a string of six injuries over two years. Uh, and they had John Congemi was their backup. And John got hurt. And so they went into a game in Edmonton with, where Tom Porras, who was the third stringer, was going to be the starter. And they had nobody else behind him. And and Mike McCarthy, in, in one of the most brilliant moves of his long and illustrious career as a general manager, 
plucked Ricky Foggy off the BC Lions practice roster. Ricky had joined the Lions in 1988 as Matt's backup. He'd been there again in 1989 as Matt's backup. And in 1990, he went into the season projected as the Lions' number one quarterback. And in fact, he started the season as the Lions' number one quarterback in 1990. But they had also signed this guy named Doug Flutie, who pretty quickly asserted himself as, as what was eventually became the greatest quarterback in Canadian football history, in many people's opinion, probably including my own. Um, so Foggy had dropped down the depth chart in B.C., to the point, in fact, where they were converting him to a slot back. And McCarthy looks at his injured quarterback situations and says to Adam Rita, hey, what about this Foggy? You had him in BC. And Adam says, go get him. And so F McCarthy phones Foggy up and says, hey, would you like to join us? He's on the practice roster of the Lions, so he's he's free to go. Would you like to join us? We're going to put you on the game roster, so you're going to get a game check, and we're putting you back at quarterback. And so Foggy gets on the next plane and flies to Toronto, and he, I think he has one practice the Argos fly to Edmonton. Foggy goes in as the backup quarterback behind Porus, who has a disastrous first half. I think three interceptions and two fumbles, if I recall correctly. Uh, and the Argos are getting killed by the Eskimos. Uh, and, and with about, I think it was either 10 or 12 minutes left in a lost cause game, Matthews puts Foggy in, who had, like I said, one, maybe two practices with the Argos. And he lights it up for 200 yards, three touchdown passes, I think 70 yards rushing. And the Argos still lose, but I'll never forget, I, I was at that game because I was living in Edmonton at the time. I'll never forget coming out of the stadium and sitting in my, my buddy's car, listening to the Edmonton Eskimos broadcast in the car as we leave the parking lot and the, the, the legendary Brian Hall, the Eskimos announcer, interviewing Matthews. And he, he, makes some, he gives him some question along the lines of, what are you going to do with this quarterback problem? You can't keep Dunnigan healthy. And Matthews, in Matthews's very stony way, says, we got a quarterback. I found him tonight or something to, words to that effect. And sure enough, Foggy became the absolutely perfect second string guy who had to play a lot because Matt kept getting hurt. And they were they were a, an almost unstoppable duo. I mean, when when Matt was healthy, he was absolutely number one. There was no no questioning that. But he wasn't healthy a lot of the time. And in fact, in, in 1991, I think of the Argos 13 wins, Foggy started and finished 10 of them. Um, so it was, it was uh, you know, a, a marriage made in heaven for those two. They got along well with each other. Ricky understood that, that it was Matt's team, but he was going to play a lot. And when he played, he was going to do what he could. And he sure did. I mean, he had one game in 1990 as the, as the backup quarterback who wasn't even on the roster at, when camp began because he was in another city. He threw seven touchdown passes and ran for 100 yards. That little little thing like that, an unbelievable game. And it was a guy, you know, as I said, he was he was at, ostensibly would have been at, theoretically the third stringer on the on the depth chart at that time. Although he had basically already moved past John Kinjemi. and he knocked Tom Porras right off the roster. Yeah, well, Kinjemi, I think was traded to Ottawa in the off season for I think it was Brian Warren, and yeah. I think they even. The Argos even experimented with Dean Dorsey, a kicker. Yeah, they actually got they got Dean they got Dean Dorsey and Leonard Johnson along with Jay, along with uh, uh, Brian Warren in that deal for Kajemi. It was a steal of a deal because Brian Warren, you know, had ten or twelve sacks that year and was a leader on the defense. Dorsey didn't beat out Chomick, but they they I think if I recall, Chomick was a free agent. He, I think he told me, and I don't get into this in the book, but he was a free agent heading into that season uh, and had had a tryout in the NFL and and. 
thought he was he thought he had a really good chance to make it down in the NFL. And then he got a call from I can't remember if it was Rita or McCarthy uh, saying we're being bought by 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 uh, Bruce McNall, Wayne Gretzky and John Candy. And we'd like you to come back. And he sort of said, come on, you got to be kidding me. But when he found it, it was true. He re-signed with with Toronto and beat Dorsey out for the kicking job. Um but yeah, Kajemi was gone for for 90, 91 season. But those are, and I'm not going to give this away because it's, it's I think it's one of the it was one of the surprising things I found out when I researched the book. John Kajemi comes back in a very interesting way during the 1991 season. That's all I'm going to say about that. Hmm. Um, so the other uh, player I wanted to to ask about uh, was uh, he's featured a lot in in some of the videos you posted, um, but. You know, I'm going to profit. I'm going to go back a few years and say, you know, the Argos, in order to get Matt Dunnigan, had to trade an all time CFL linebacker in Willie Pless. Yeah. Which, looking back at it, may seem a little bit, you know, because we, we got two seasons out of Dunnigan, but, you know, Willie Pless played for Edmonton for the better part of a decade. Yeah. But uh, one of the, the guys the Argos had uh, brought up around that time was Chris Gaines. Mm-hmm. And. I think a lot of people don't realize this because his career was cut short, but had he been able to, had his career not been cut short, we may be talking about Chris Gaines as an all-time Argonaut. Yeah, that's right. He was he was an extremely valuable part of that team in 1990 and 91. Uh, he had come up late in the 89 season, um, and he, has, he became, he established himself as the starting middle linebacker in 1990. Uh, and, and it's, you know, the league's football is a bit different now than it was then. The middle linebacker is not nowadays is not sort of considered the quarterback of the defense the way it was back then. He was the quarterback of the, of the Argo defense. He was the, he was the spiritual leader of the entire team, the offense, defense, special teams. Gaines was the man. Uh, and he wasn't, and he was a sensational middle linebacker. It's obviously a huge, he's hugely important in the story because of his role off the field as the as the spiritual leader and as the guy that invented this thing they called the new jack and and his pregame raps and so on were a massively important part of the Argos winning the Grey Cup in 1991 but he was he could he could hunt down running backs and pound them he could cover receivers and get interceptions and he could race from sideline to sideline he was an amazing linebacker um, so it's, it's really a shame that after the 91 season, he had to, he had to retire because his ankle was just, it was degenerative. He would, he'd had so many ankle injuries. He would have, he would have not been able to walk had he continued to play is what the doctors told him. Um, keep in mind, and just to go back to the Willie Pless thing for a minute, I mean, it, you, you do wonder sometimes, is it worth trading, trading an all timer, a guy who became an all timer for a guy who was only there for two years and won us one championship. And I would argue that Anytime you can you can get a guy that helps you win a championship, it's almost always a great trade. Uh, but it's also important to remember that we didn't have Willie Pless in, in 90 and 91, but we did have Daryl Ford. And Daryl Ford, is, who was the guy that played the Willie Pless line, the outside linebacker position that Pless had played before. And Daryl Ford was all world in those two years, especially in 1991. He was absolutely robbed for not being named the CFL's most outstanding defensive player in 1991. A tremendous player that year. Uh, and again, he was so good that he ended up going to the NFL. So we only had him for two years. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Gaines, Gaines is a massively important part of the story. Uh, his, he, 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 he appears in it in a number of spots. 
Uh, and, you know, the, the Grey Cup game itself, a lot of the fact that the Argos won that game comes down to a speech Gaines made in the locker room right before the game. Uh, yeah, so Daryl Ford, if uh, any of the stat heads are, are listening, 117 uh, tackles and uh, three interceptions and uh, three sacks. Yeah, and that doesn't even capture his impact. He was his impact was unbelievable that year. They, I think, I believe the most outstanding defensive player was Greg Battle of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and of course they they had for years an unbelievable three four defense with four phenomenal linebackers, and and their defense was 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 really the entire identity of the Bombers. And no no disrespect to Greg Battle, he was he is a, he just deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to have been an All Star a lot of times, but in 1991. I believe Daryl Ford played better than Greg Battle. So with all these names that, that we've had, you know, you, and you said you talked to about 100 people for this book, you know, what was like some of the, the, the without giving away too much of what's in the book, what was some of the, the most interesting things that you, that you picked up from, uh, from the people you talked to uh, about that year? Oh, man, that is such a tough question, Clay, because there's so many of them. Uh, certainly some surprising nuggets emerge along the way. I alluded to that John Jemmy one, and I won't give that one away. Um, I, you know, I mean, even though I only had a 20-minute conversation with Wayne Gretzky, he told me some things I'd never heard before about the rocket. Um, and so that was fascinating. Bruce McNall acknowledged to me that he, his real plan was not to build the Argos into the big, you know, CFL success story, but he wanted an NFL franchise for Toronto. Um, you know, so I, I, I learned things like that all the way through sometimes tiny little nuggets and sometimes really important nuggets. A fantastic story about Rockets first game, uh, which was the week two of the 91 season. He hadn't played in week one. And just before the game that he was going to make his debut, he was absolutely freaking out in the locker room. And Pinball Clemens had to basically say, dude, look, calm down. It's You're going to be fine. Just go out there and do what you can do. Oh, and by the way, they're going to kick to you. And Rocket's eyes lit up, like widened. Like, what? You're going to kick to me? And, and because the because Paul is Ballston of the Tiger Cats had told the media, I'm, I know what Pinball can do. He was the most outstanding player in the league last year. I'm kicking to Rocket until I find out that he's at least as good as Pinball. Uh, so, you know, those types of stories were amazing. Hearing from hearing from Dan Aykroyd about about John Candy, uh, about walking around the stadium on opening night with John Candy and the way people were reacting to 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 John, that sort of stuff. You know, some of it just sends chills down your spine. Um, some of it's more sad, you know, hearing sad, but 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 poignant and, and in its own way. Good. You, we talked, I, I think Will mentioned uh, uh, Daryl K. Smith, uh, maybe the second greatest receiver in Argo history, hugely important part of the team, of course. He fell on hard times after the Argos. He, he became addicted to drugs. He got in. He had a lot of problems. And in the end, he, he died, sadly, way too young of cancer. But as I get into in the book, I heard from his brother, Sherman, who was an NFL running back. He he found his way again towards the end. He cleaned himself up and uh, and set himself back on, on the right course before dying. And you hear something like that. And it really it really touches you and chokes you up a little bit. Right. Yeah, it's sad he wasn't able to make it to the 20th anniversary. Yeah. I don't know if he was still having his issues at that point, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, but it, yeah, I'm really sad I never got a chance to talk to him because I think DK would have been an amazing guy to interview. He was yeah. articulate and funny and brash and and loud back then. And I bet you he would have been one of the best interviews I could have possibly done. But unfortunately, he died just around the time I started the project in 2017. And it was actually I, I I remember that I remember it too because it was sort of the, around the same time I remember um, Jim Barker had been I can't remember if Jim Barker was fired or Scott it was Scott Milanovich who was fired but the Argos essentially had no I don't think they had a GM or coach at the time and, and right the initial days of free agency was kind of like everybody was just yeah not in a good mindset and then the news about dk dropped and you know that made everything yeah worse. rough days for the argos but of course by the end of that season we were great cup champions uh, yep. but uh, yeah no it was it that's that's that and in fact a number of guys from that team are gone Her- harold holman and doran major and keith kelly um rd lancaster who was an assistant coach uh, I think, yeah, Chris, Chris Schultz, of course. And, and I, I am very grateful for the fact that I was able to talk to Chris on three occasions uh, to do interviews uh, before his very untimely uh, death uh, last, I guess, earlier this year. Um, and his, as you know, as I've said to people, he not surprisingly, because we all watched Chris up for years on TSN, very articulate, very insightful, very analytical. And and quite outspoken about a few things. He he thought the new Jack thing was 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 ridiculous, and he says so. It's in the book. <laughs> let's um let's go let's uh, shift it up here and go from the regular season to the playoffs now. So East. So let's first of all with East final. Um, fifty fifty thousand people in Skydome for an East final. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, that was that was their biggest crowd of the year. Um, they had forty-one thousand for the first game of the season, and they were in the thirties after that until the Eastern Final when they had the fifty thousand crowd. Uh, and what a game! I mean, it was it was the, it was the fifth year in a row the Argos had played the Bombers in the playoffs. They was that was a huge rivalry. They the Bombers had moved into the East in '87 when Montreal folded on the eve of the season. And the Bombers and Argos became huge rivals almost instantly. The first game the Bombers played as an Eastern Division team was against Toronto. Um, and and they met every year in the playoffs. Uh, the Argos knocked off the Bombers in the Eastern Final in 87 in Winnipeg to go to the Grey Cup. The Bombers returned the favor in 88. Uh, the Bombers beat the Argos in 89 in the semifinal when both teams were lousy that year. And then in 1990, that, that amazing Argo offensive machine that scored 689 points uh, and I don't think has ever been topped, couldn't get past the Bombers. They could beat everybody else. They could kill everybody else in the league that year, but they couldn't beat the Bombers. And they and the Bombers f- almost fluked into a win in the Eastern Final at home on a, on one broken play that led to Tom Burgess running up the middle for 40-plus yards that set up a game-winning field goal. With the Argos down to their fifth-string quarterback, Tom Porras, back in action after having been cut because they had so many injuries, and Porras had them tied with a minute to go on the on the verge of going to the Grey Cup, and they didn't get there. Winnipeg beat Edmonton 50 to 11. The Argos probably would have beaten Edmonton 70 to 11. Anyway, the next year they're in the Eastern Final again. Now this time it's in Toronto, not Winnipeg, and the Bombers had beaten the Argos three playoffs in a row, and the Bombers were mouthy. 
Ty Jones and James mm-hmm. Wild West had a hell of a lot to say about how they were going to knock off the fat cats from Toronto. I think Ty Jones was quoted in the paper saying they're not even going to score 11 points on us. Well, it was 22 to nothing 11 minutes into the game. The Argos destroyed them. Uh, you know, the biggest laugher you're ever going to imagine in an Eastern final or a playoff game. That game was over literally about 11 minutes in. There was no way the Bombers could possibly score 23 points. And Winnipeg's only points in that game, I believe, were off a, a long kickoff that put them in field goal range, but they didn't. Actually, they, sur- they, su- no, they surrendered a safety touch, believe it or not. At the end of the game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they got a yeah. single and a single and a safety. Like that, that's, that. yeah, it's virtually a shutout, right? And yeah. uh, and it shut, it, it shut up James Wild West and Ty Jones uh, in ways that the Argos had never been able to shut them out before. And and by the way, I learned some stuff about about that rivalry that I also won't get into on here because I want I don't want to spoil all the surprises. But there's a very cool story in the book about about how the Argos finally put a stop to the Bombers' annoying, obnoxious tendencies of, to do certain things before every game. Yeah, the um, you go back and watch uh, Paul. You posted highlights of the '91 East final about. 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. And uh, if you watch the uh, rocket has a punt return in that game for a touchdown. And, and when he makes that final cut, the, the noise in the stadium overwhelms the yep. uh, microphones, if you will. And, and it's, it's just, yeah, that's an amazing return. He's, he's, he, he cuts, he cuts, he cut, takes it in uh, at the left end of his, of, of our end of the field. He yeah. runs, runs to the right. He sort of almost runs into J.P. Esquerdo, one of his blockers. And then he takes it all the way to the far sideline in front of the Argo bench and then cuts it back the other way. And when he cuts it back the other way and breaks into the clear with the speed that he had, the place went bonkers. Yeah. Uh, so let's move uh, a week later to the Grey Cup at Winnipeg Stadium. Uh, watching all the all the videos uh, that you've posted, it, it just everybody looks frozen. Yeah, it's, and, crazy, and, it's crazy, all right. And they were going up against a Calgary team that Doug Flutie wasn't there yet, but Danny Barrett sort of had a career year. Yep. They beat um, Edmonton on probably one of the best. CFL playoff games of all time. Yeah. And the Argos obviously do win the Great Cup 36 to 21, but it really was a close run thing for about three and a half quarters, wasn't it? Oh yeah. It's a, it's a, it's actually, it's one of the weirdest Grey Cups statistically of all time. The, the Calgary, outgained the Argos something like 422 yards to 178. I mean, they they dominated in terms of moving the ball up and down the field. Danny Barrett threw, I think, 56 passes, completed yeah. more than 30 of them. Um, Dan, the Argos got seven first downs and won the Grey Cup by 15 points. That's just that's just nuts. Um, it was close. It was, in fact, that's, again, we talked about Rocket and his flair for the dramatic and, and where better to do it but that in that game. It, it, Calgary has it's the fourth quarter there we're coming up to 10 minutes left in the game and Calgary scores a touchdown the great Allen Pitt scores a touchdown it's now a one-point game Argos leading 22-21 Calgary's got all the momentum they've they've been the by far the more successful team offensively throughout the game they're down by one they kick it off Rocket receives the kickoff breaks to his right again 
burns up the sideline for the for the basically the game winning touchdown the touchdown that made it an eight point game with 10 minutes to go and then the argos do this incredible thing where they kick the ball off for the second time in the game hank illicit deliberately kicks a high pooch type kickoff planning they were basically planning to try to see if they could force a fumble and they did uh, and for the second time in the game, the same guy recovered it. Keith Costello, an unsung Canadian linebacker who Adam Rita calls my hero of the game, recovers the fumble. One play later, Matt Dunnigan throws a touchdown pass to Paul Masati, and it's now a 15-point game. It's been 45 seconds. It went from a one-point game to a 15-point game. And from there, the Argo defense was not going to be scored on. Uh, but yes, it was that game was in the balance at that point. Uh, and it was an unbelievably cold. I, I call it, I don't, I think I say it's the, it was probably the coldest great cup of all time, or maybe I just, maybe I don't put a probably about it. I mean, you can't really know a few people I interviewed said they were at the 84 game in Edmonton and it might've been colder. One or two people have said the 75 game in Calgary might've been colder and who knows whether there was any really cold ones back in the thirties and forties, but, but it, it was for sure one of the coldest games of all time, insanely cold minus 25 celsius with the wind chill and and you know a a stadium that basically was open to the elements um people beers were freezing in cups you could turn your beer beer cup upside down and the beer wouldn't fall out um you know people laurie bercy who's the greatest argo fan any of us will ever meet uh and never misses a game or a play almost left at halftime her feet were so frozen um it was it was insanely cold Great. Uh, there's a great anecdote in the book, actually, where uh, uh, David Williams told me, David Williams was an Argo receiver. He told me that uh, at one point, you know, before the game started, he just he ducked out of the locker room to take a look at the field and there was not a single player warming up on the field. So you know, it's cold when nobody is warming up out there. So. Um, Doug. <laughs> So what ha- so we so 91 was an amate was an amazing year for all intents and purposes. What the hell happened in 1992? Yeah, it all went to hell. Um it and as this is also a big part of the book, although obviously the focal point in the central the central theme of the book is 91 and that electrifying magical year, but I I didn't want to do this tell the story without without the full the full story and and 92 and even into 93 to some extent are, are a big part of the story uh what went wrong well i mean first of all you know and then this the, but the book explores the financial side as well as the the the, the football side uh it became apparent to the to the business executives even before the 1991 season was over that this was not going to work financially they did not sell as many tickets as they needed to sell they McNall thought he was going to come in, he was going to bring in the rocket and Gretzky and Candy, and he was going to put 54,000 people in the building every night. Well, it didn't work out. They had 41,000, then a bunch of crowds in the 30s, and then 50 for the Eastern final. So there was a lot of unsold seats that year, and they needed that revenue because Rocket was being paid an insane amount of money. Uh, so financially, it wasn't going to work, um, and they had... Chris, Chris Gaines had, having to retire because of his degenerative ankle problems. And Matt Dunning, it was a free agent. And they made the fateful, the ill-fated, I guess you could say, decision to offer Matt a contract that was laden with incentives for games played because he'd missed so many games. He, they, the Argos had played 30, 39 games 
including playoffs in two seasons, Dunnigan had suited up for 18 of 39 games. Um, and 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 in, in, I believe it was, I can't remember if it was five or six of those games he'd suited up for, he got injured and didn't play most of the game. So he had hardly played to earn his money as the, as the highest paid quarterback in the league and second highest paid player behind, eventually behind the Rocket. So they offered him a deal that said, you play every game for us and you're going to be the highest paid quarterback in the league, but you don't pay, play games, you're not going to get paid. And of course, he had no interest in accepting that. And Cal Murphy of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers came along with an offer of guaranteed money. Uh, and so Matt left. And as good as Foggy had been, as Matt's primary backup and as the guy who had played a hell of a lot and been incredibly successful, he was arguably successful because he was part of a duo with, with Donegan, the way Barnes and Holloway had been a great duo eight years, nine years earlier. Uh, and so they went into the season with with Foggy as the starting quarterback. They they knew that Rocket had they they felt Rocket had to be the focal point of the of everything. And and business office down in L.A. was pressing them. You got to feature this guy. You got to feature this guy. We're, our whole thing is built around Rocket. And Adam Rita was trying to do that, but you can't build an offensive scheme around one receiver. Aid no receiver, however good he is, is going to get targeted 25 times a game. Uh, the great Terry Greer, you know, a couple of games he caught 16 passes, but typically he would get about 10 to 12 targeted at him in a game. Uh, Rocket was not going to get more than 10 or 12 targets in a game, and you're going to have 50, 60 plays in a game. So that didn't work. Uh, they they lost their first game in a sort of a bizarre way against Ottawa in overtime. A bunch of things that went could go wrong that year went wrong. They got a lot of injuries. Rocket got hurt. Daryl K. Smith got hurt. Foggy got hurt. Adam Rita got frustrated and snappish. Uh, by by September, the the reigning coach of the year was fired. Uh, of course, there was the infamous incident with Rocket stomping on Andy McVeigh's head in a 31-0 loss at home to Calgary, which is a big part of one of the 1992 chapters in the book. Uh, yeah, it just all and Rocket basically didn't want to be there. I mean, he at that point he was fed up. He was he didn't he didn't he no longer was having the funny head in '91. Uh, he was the, the weight of being needing to be the Gretzky of the Argos in Canadian football was was really weighing him down. Um, so he didn't want to be there, but he he wanted to keep earning his money, and they didn't want him to be there, and they had to find a way to get rid of him. It was just an awful season. They went from from the penthouse to the outhouse. You know, they turned to six and twelve, missed the playoffs. Adam Reed got fired. Eventually, Rocket got persuaded to get the hell out of town. Um, and it was even worse the next year. They were three and fifteen, and and no interest, no fan support. It was just you know, and the, don't forget the Blue Jays. Were, were rising power by 91 and by 92 they were winning world series and they won again in 93 so as had happened in 83 when the argos won the gray cup and then the fan support went down because the pressure valve had been released we finally won now we can move on and cheer for the blue jays we're just getting good same thing happened in 92 and people turned their attention to the blue jays they didn't need to be the, the argos just weren't as fun the second time around by then the the, the novelty of sky dome had worn off that's 92 in a nutshell, I think. Now, were, were Gretzky and McNallis essentially absentee owners by 93? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were. I mean, really, Gretzky was an absentee owner pretty well from the beginning. He he was at the, the, the first game. He was at a couple of other games in 91. 
But he was a hockey player, and they their their training camp starts in September, so he couldn't do anything. Yeah. He did come to the Grey Cup. He was on the on the cold sidelines in Winnipeg for the Grey Cup. Um, but yeah, he was Wayne was never tremendously engaged with it. He he was happy to come along for the ride, and when Bruce suggested, he went along with the idea, particularly because he heard Candy was going to be involved. Uh, but he was he was nowhere to be seen. And in fact. I get into this in the book by the end of the 92 season, Wayne was, was being very explicit to the media about wanting out. This is not working and it's time for somebody else to take this over, uh, which couldn't have helped, you know, sell tickets for the 93 season. Um, McNall was, it was here and here and there. He, he came in, he got, he got into a big snit with the league in, in at the beginning of the 92 season, feeling like they, he, they were reneging on promises that had been made. The, the Argos came in, the, the McNall group, I should say, came in to ownership, believing that they were going to be allowed to sell the rights, the broadcast rights to some home games to local television. They, I think they thought, we'll sell some of our home games to City TV or somebody like that, and we'll make we'll have all the revenue. And that's not how the league's TV contract worked. It was national games. And because the Argos are the biggest market and the biggest city, they're in most of the national games. And so there were no there was no way they were going to give them local market rights. And McNall felt that was a reneged promise. So he blasted the league. Um, there were other problems. There was a big dispute over John Candy's expenses from the year before. Uh, and McNall, you know, would periodically show up and and sort of say we're turning things around everything's going to be fine or i'm mad at my partners in the league but you know they're not respecting us whatever but he by 92 he was his his mind was elsewhere at that point even though we didn't know it yet his empire was starting to crumble and the the, the you know the things were the deals were starting to to not be able to buy the next deal the way his thing was built to do uh, so he had to focus and his ex- business executives were focusing on how do we keep this house of cards from collapsing um, so yeah, they were gone essentially. And Candy was less engaged. He was still going to games, bringing his kids to games at home. Uh, but he was back to do, doing his career and doing movies and stuff. Um, still caring passionately about the Argos, unlike McNall and Gretzky, who never cared passionately about the Argos. Gretzky, you know, he liked them as a kid, but it wasn't the same thing. He does remember seeing it, going to a game and seeing Granny Leggins playing defensive tackle for the Argos. So he's got some memories of it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they weren't, they weren't super involved and, and Gretzky wanted out by the Grey Cup of 92, which was a disaster in Skydome. Gretzky was on TSN basically saying the people of Toronto have spoken. They don't want this. Yeah. And I think that whole tumultuous 1991, 1992 season is, is, is partially the reason why we're unfortunately been going to Argo games with only, you know, 10 13,000 other people lately. Uh, the team, basically, I, I realize, you know, it, it goes beyond the, the scope of the book, but the Argos go 20 and 52 over the next, um, four I think it's four seasons. Yeah. And, and, you know, by 96, 97, you know, they're putting the best team in CFL history on the field. But by then, the damage had, had very much been been done. Yeah, that's true, Will. But it, it it predates them too, right? I mean, it, it yeah. really. I I I take I take this back to 1981 when when Carling O'Keefe brought in Ralph Sazio as general manager and president, and it absolutely turned the fortunes around on the field. You cannot deny that the Argos were very successful through the 80s. They won the Grey Cup and ended that drought. 
Uh, Ralph knew what he was doing football-wise, but he did not want to spend on marketing. He did not. He believed you did not have to spend money to market the team other than putting a winning team on the field. And that was the wrong strategy in a market where the Blue Jays were marketing the hell out of their product and attracting an audience of people that wouldn't have even bought sports tickets at all in the past. So it, it predates McNall by a decade. Uh, Ornest also was in there and also contributed to that problem. Skydome itself contributed to the problem. It was a terrible facility for football. It was built because because the Ray, the Grey Cup in 82 had been, uh, you know, a giant uh, uh, waterlogged rain, rain spectacle. And that led to Skydome being built with a retractable roof. But it was a it was a multi-purpose stadium that didn't serve baseball or football well and served football particularly badly. Uh, and so that didn't help. There, you know, there a lot of bad seats in that building for football. And unless it was three quarters full, it's a, it's a dead atmosphere. So, yeah, all that stuff contributed. Then the team goes downhill. McNall stops paying his bills to some of the local suppliers for a while. That didn't help. Um, you know, it just, yeah. And so, so unfortunately, when the new owners came in in 94, Labatt uh, slash TSN, they were, they were dealing with now a legacy of almost 15 years of problems. And they were just sort of trying to keep it alive by, you know, making whole some of those suppliers and and you know, try to put a great winning team on the field. They did it with Flutie and those guys in 96, 97. Uh, but that it what it didn't arrest the decline. Uh, and then, you know, with, there have been things that happened since then with with, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sherwood Schwarz was was a bad owner and Cinnamon and Sokolowski had great intentions and meant well and it seemed to work because the building had a lot more people in it but they really didn't have the money to do it properly over a long period of time and then of course Braley which was again problematic in terms of investing in the product and so on and so on and so forth so the, so that the current owners have a big challenge ahead of them to rebuild the brand uh, and and it's it really it's a challenge that dates back to you know to 1981 in my opinion, um, but the McNall year were blipped up. It could have gone differently had they maybe done things differently. Had they maybe instead of raising prices in '92, had they lowered prices or at least held the line on prices? Um, had they brought Matt Dunnigan back instead of letting him walk? You know, a number of things might have been done differently by that McNall group that might have made the story different. Uh, had they not. And this, I get into this in the book, had they not kept secret from John Candy that they were trying to sell the team, and maybe John could have t- could have found a, w- a way to, to stay and connected with the ownership group yeah. after McNall left, and maybe John didn't go to Mexico or didn't die. And I mean, now we're getting into pure hy- hypothesis, right? But I, yeah, it's, it's you, you can definitely trace the, the McNall thing partly to where we are now, um, but it's not only McNall, that's for sure. One last question before we we, uh, we wrap up, but um, a friend of mine has, has always asked sort of over the years has said, if the Argos were going to make a big splash, which they did with getting the rocket, might it not have been better served to um, go after a big name quarterback in the States? I know there were always some sort of rumor around that this was right around the time where Steve Young was starting to, the 49ers were starting to transition from Joe Montana to Steve Young. But what, do you remember any of the rumors about the Argos go, potentially going after Joe Montana at any point? Yeah, I believe they did. Um, McNall basically said that they did. I, I don't think it was a super serious 
effort, but I think some discussions did take place with Montana. Um, John Candy even sort of publicly joked about it at a few events. When somebody he was at an event in Regina, somebody's cell phone went off, and 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 Candy at the at the microphone said, "If that's Joe Montana, get his number, and I'll call him back." Um, they did go after uh, Mark Rippon in '92, and Mark Rippon was a Super Bowl champion quarterback with the Washington Redskins. Uh, sorry, the Washington football team. I don't like to say that name. Um, who had who had had was born in Calgary. Uh, he wasn't really a Canadian in any sense of the word, but he was a Super Bowl winning quarterback, and he was a free agent trying to get a new contract from the Washington team. And McNall brought him up to a couple of games. He took him to the game, the exhibition game in Portland, and then he brought him to the Argos. I think it was their first home game of the season against BC. Uh, and it was that's a, that was one of the things that went wrong in '92. And they're in their home against BC. Ricky Foggy's been installed as number one quarterback. They they destroyed the Lions. Like I can't remember if it was 62 to 10 or 60 to 60 to 22, but it was a massive blowout win for the Argos over the BC Lions. Uh, and on the field on on the jumbotron is Mark Rippon. How's how's Ricky Foggy going to feel about that, right? So I mean they tried that stuff. It was interesting. I, I did uncover some some pretty interesting inside information along the way about Brian Cooper wrote a I've got a memo that Brian Cooper wrote to the McNall group in L.A. talking about, you know, our efforts to sign Mark Rippon. I've uh, so far I've struck out to get sponsorship from Coca-Cola, Reebok, the Bitoff Corp. So they were trying to get they were trying to get sponsors who would underwrite the contract. Um, and, and obviously they didn't get anybody to bite. And Mark Rippon, I think, would have been a disastrous quarterback in Canadian football. So stupid idea. Uh, you had you had the hero. You had the, you had the greatest hero of all time in Matt Dunigan, the guy that won you the Grey Cup with with a fractured clavicle in his throwing arm. Why do you need to get Mark Rippon or Joe Montana for that matter? Why not build on the guy you had? Joe, I mean, God God knows Matt Dunigan is an incredibly marketable guy. Uh, good-looking, funny, articulate, fantastic quarterback, the kind of quarterback every fan loves. You had him and you let him go. So, yeah, they tried that stuff. Um, and, you know, yeah, arguably you don't, like I said, you can't build an offense around a receiver. It just doesn't work. They're going to, they're going to, Rocket, there's a stat in the book, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't cite you the exact stat, but Rocket never, I'm pretty sure Rocket never had more than nine touches in a single game in 1992 that's kick returns punt returns receptions runs he never touched the ball more than nine times in a game <laughs> like you can't build an offense around that and that's and that's not from lack of trying adam rita tried to get the ball to him but you can't do it well it we we can all agree that uh, 1991 was probably one of the uh, the, the most fun years we've, uh, we've had as Argonaut fans. Um, I want to thank you for uh, for helping us relive some of that. Um, once again, Paul, where can they find the book? Well, SutherlandHouse.com, I think, is the address. If you go, if you look up, if you do a search for Sutherland House on the web, you'll find their page, and they they're offering it. They have been offering it with a with a 20% discount, which is a great deal. Uh, in fact, I was at there today picking up my copies. I've now got the book in my hand for the first time, and I'll tell you, they've done an amazing job with the packaging. People are going to really be blown away by how great this book looks and feels. 
um, as well as how well it's written, but that's just me saying that. Um, they uh, they have this discount. Uh, they were they were shipping books today to people that did pre-orders. Uh, so hopefully those people are going to get it in the next couple of days. Uh, either failing that, uh, go to Chapters Indigo, go to a local a local independent bookstore, uh, go to go on the web to Amazon. Uh, it's everywhere. Uh, it will be it'll be in stores, uh, probably not by September the 1st, but hopefully by the second or third. Um, and certainly orders are being accepted now and being and being fulfilled now. So anybody that gets an order in should get it shipped to them. You know, we all know Amazon gets you stuff really quickly. Right. So uh, uh, and I believe Sutherland House will do that as well or, or Barnes and Noble or wherever you're ordering the book from chapters Indigo. Um, I can't wait for people to get it in their hands. I'm looking forward to hearing people's reaction to it. It is, as you say, Clay, it's an amazing story. It's one of the most fun years we had in history. I think the craziest, wildest, most memorable year in almost a century and a half of Argonauts football. So many things that make it an amazing story are in the book. Uh, I was, I had a, I, I felt I had a solemn obligation to do justice to this story. I, it, at times, I didn't know if I could possibly do it because it was so big and complex. I'd like to think I did. I hope people feel I did. I think people who love the Argos are going to love the book. And I think people who aren't even football fans are going to find a lot to enjoy in this book. All right, Paul, thank you very much for joining us on the Argos Fancast. It's always great to have you on. Uh, you're a, an absolute wealth of knowledge for anything uh, Toronto Argonauts. And you're probably the only person who can rival Will with the amount of, no, no, amount of knowledge you can you can pull at a moment's notice. Well, that's high praise indeed, actually. And I, I, you know, I, I should say one more thing. The book almost certainly is going to be in kiosks at BMO during games. They, they, they've taken, MLSC has, has bought an allotment of books with the intention of putting them into the kiosks and possibly, I think, into the real sports store down at Scotiabank Arena as well. So anybody that wants to pick one up at a game should be able to do that. Uh, I, I have said to people online, if anybody, you know, has a copy of the book and wants me to sign it, I'd be happy to meet up before games or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I encourage people to, to look for it. I, 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 like I said, I, when I, when I handed in my hands today and saw the packaging they've done with this, I'm just overwhelmed by how great a book this feels and looks, whether it's well-written or not is not for me to say, although I did say it, but, uh, I hope people enjoy it. And I, I think people are going to think of it as a really great keepsake. Thank you very much, Paul. And, Thank you, Paul. Uh, look, Thanks, forward guys. To, look forward to reading that book. I really enjoyed it. I'll come back anytime. I always love talking to you folks. So that was that was Paul Woods, the author of The Year of the Rocket, the story of your 1991 Toronto Argonauts. And uh, you know, I would encourage you to go and look at his YouTube channel if you just want to get a, an idea of what that team was all about. You'll find some amusing. Uh, um, so you heard me mention about the Homeboys Network. It was something that Pinball, Carl Brazley, and Doran Major were doing. I don't know if it was something that was on the Jumbotron at halftime or what, but it was kind of, I think it was inspired by In Living Color a little bit. But, you know, it, it is it is something that might not fly in 2021, but it's mildly amusing. <laughs> Anything that's close to in living color is pretty good in my book. Yeah. And, well, uh, you know, there are some games from that season posted on YouTube. And, you know, it's very much a different, it's very much a different CFL game 
I mean, the Argos' leading passer that year was Ricky Foggy, who was the quarterback. And, you know, if you look at the, the, the two leading receivers for the Argos, Daryl Smith had a 19.2-yard average per catch, and Rocket Ishmael had a 20.3-yard uh, per catch. And, you know, nowadays you're seeing a lot of guys who the average per catch is, is you know, a lot less quarterbacks aren't throwing the ball downfield as much. But, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that team, I'm going to, uh, you know, they were just destroying some teams. They beat uh, Saskatchewan on August 15th. They beat the Rough Riders 62 to 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clay will remember that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that and that was the uh, the last game before I moved to Ontario. Oh yeah. Yep. And yeah. so the the 1991 team was my first indoctrination into uh, into Ar- Argos fandom. And I somewhere somewhere in a, in a, in a bin somewhere I still have the patch from the 1991 Grey Cup championship hat. And as an 11-year-old, I did, you know, I always wore hat. I don't think I took that hat off for like a good year and a half. Hmm. So that that hat went through absolutely everything and the only thing that's left is that patch um and it still looks virtually brand new. Yeah, and and you know, well I can't speak for the 1992 team, but, you know, from watching those videos, the 1991 team had a lot of chemistry. And and I just hope that, you know, the group we have on the field this year has that same type of intensity. Well, you know what? From some of the things I've seen, um, you know, they're, they're well on their way to having great chemistry. I, I, the one thing, and I haven't I haven't mentioned it yet, but the one thing that I saw when I can't remember who who it was that went down a couple games ago, um, but uh, it was the game where McLeod Bethel Thompson um, kind of shit the bed, but near the end of that game, I believe it was was it Joan Breskison that went down in that game? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. McLeod Bethel Thompson was one of the first players off the bench to go out there and help his receiver off the field. I've never in my entire life seen a quarterback, a professional quarterback, run out there to help a receiver off the field. Like if if that doesn't kind of show you, and he was, he had been pulled at that point, and you know he's still involved in everything like that's that's you love seeing that stuff yeah yeah (sighs) well moving on from uh some great memories and and fantastic talk with paul woods um we've got to move to we've we've got a game this week well one day but we've got a game we're playing the tie cats um, as we always do on Labor Day, it's a little bit soon in the season, but in the calendar, it's not 
So we're playing the Thai Cats um, down at. Uh, I almost said I ever win there. Um, it's the the litter <laughs> box. Either way, it's a litter box. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. But while talking about ninety one, I, I I almost said Ivor win, and yeah, I still refer to it as Ivor win every now and then. Um, we're playing the Thai Cats, and for some unknown reason, the, the, like the Thai Cats still have this. Oh, these guys are such a great great team. Well, they haven't shown it this year. They're favored in this game for some unknown reason um and if you look at the stats toronto is like far and above beyond them um you know 386 to uh to 275 on passing yards or so total yards uh passing yards are 276.7 to 193 and rushing yards per game you know, we're, we're 109.3 to 81. Like, it, it kind of mind-boggling as to uh, as to what uh, what people are thinking. I think they're mostly going intangibles here because because it's Hamilton's home opener. It's Labor Day. We're at, at we're at the at the well at this new lipstick on a pig field. It's we haven't won since they've rebuilt it. Um, there's going to be no pr- practically no away fans in the stands because all the tickets went to season ticket holders, all fifteen thousand of them. Which is understandable. Yeah, it's understandable because we're still because we're still in a pandemic. Yeah. But like I said, there's a lot. Like I said, those are three very large intangibles that I think a lot of the punters are going after. Because of the fact that, well, it's Labor Day, where we've traditionally not done well at Tim Hortons Field, a place where we traditionally also haven't done well in front of a ra- in front of a rabid Hamilton crowd, which I would love to see them shut the fuck up <laughs> repeatedly and often, hopefully making their way to the exits by halftime, because it'll be a thirty-five nothing lead, but. Like I said, all, I think that's what they're going. I think that's what all the all the punters are looking at. They're not looking at the current season stats because Hamilton's got some issues, some pretty big ones too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and and, that, and that's been the the case with the the way they've been viewing Hamilton's players and and everything for the entire season. Like you know, Dane Evans is is had one game and he's jumped way up in the, the quarterback rankings while yeah. Arbuckle had a much better game than him and is ranked below him, I believe. It it, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense, but going well, based on what we're seeing now but, you know, Do you friggin' mind? Well, for fuck's sakes. Um but I take mean, your inline four and go home. No one wants to hear it. I mean, the, the way I'm looking, Hamilton gave up, I think, six or seven sacks to Montreal. And, you know, if there's any time for the Argo Pass rush to finally get home, it would be on Monday. At the same time, uh, 
you know, I think what what might have gotten lost in the Thai Cats one and two start is that their defense is actually playing fairly well. They, you know, they've given up less than twenty points in two of their three games, so that's going to be something that the Argos are going to have to uh, figure out. I mean, Vernon Adams looked absolutely miserable last week. He couldn't get anything going with that deep ball, and they shut down Standback pretty effectively. I mean, the Argos are going to present a a double, you know, they're probably going to throw John White and DJ Foster at them. So it's, it's, you're going to be having fresh legs. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's always weird. You know, the thing with Labor Day always is that, you know, we're sitting here trying to analyze it as, as a football game, but we all well know that, unfortunately, it never quite, you know, it's like, you know, the weirdness that the Leafs have in Buffalo or the weirdness that the Blue Jays have in Tampa. It's just some mystique that the Argos can't get over easily sometimes. Well, there's enough new people on this team to say, fuck that, we're winning this year. No, I hear what you're saying there. Yeah. And, you know, the Argos, I would hope, I mean... You have the veterans on the team to G up all the new guys to say, hey, this game is the most important game of the year for them. Our most important game of the year isn't coming until December. I mean, I would hope that the Argos do take some sort of inspiration from sort of this whole situation with with the Elks. I mean, the Elks, you know, have a COVID outbreak that forces the cancellation of of the football game, uh, you know, the Elks president is talking out of his ass about rescheduling of the game. You know, I can hope they can find some sort of inspiration from that. Well, they'll be well rested. That's for darn sure. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, as far as, you know, keys for this game, uh, honestly, I think, you know, we have to this D-line, as much as they've been they've been quiet as far as uh, getting home on the quarterback, um, they've been doing a lot uh, that you know, doesn't really show up as much on the stat sheet, um, which right. I think is really good. But I think they, they need to kind of establish themselves in this game. Um, and then the other one I'm looking for is we need to get that running game going with that two-headed monster of John White and DJ Foster, you know, keep fresh legs in there and, and man, just go balls to the wall. It's Labor Day. It's a, it's a war. Let's go win this war. And hold on, hold on to the ball, Arbuckle. Yes. Let, let the Kraken feed. (laughs) Let them, let them drag the cats down to Davy Jones locker and drown them. Oh, well, we'll see that. That uh, game is uh, part of the doubleheader on Monday. Um, that game is uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, for you betting uh, bettors out there, 
Right now, the Argos are uh, two-and-a-half-point dogs, and the over-under is 44. I would so take that. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to those in, in a little bit. But we got some other news going on in the CFL. Um, first, uh, out of Edmonton and Saskatchewan, they, they are now on board with uh, requiring um, proof of vaccinations or negative COVID tests. Uh, when entering games, Saskatchewan's is going to be enacted mid-September. Uh, Edmonton, um, I think because of their issues going on and some other things are not going to be enacted until October 17th. But we've got all nine teams now on board with this. And I think that's uh, the one of the smartest decisions that... Uh, that these teams and their operating partners uh, for their their stadiums have uh, have made in a long, long time. That being said, if you're able to <laughs> go get your goddamn shot. Yes. And by law, your employer has to give you at least three hours off to get that shot if you need it. So, hey, really? They put the they put the election rule in for getting a shot. Yep. Oh, three, uh, maybe four hours. I don't know what the, the yeah. Yeah, I, I I went by the old one, but I was told, yep, three hours to go get your shot. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I had my shot late in the day. You know, I left maybe, I don't think I left three hours early, but, you know, I wasn't told to make yeah. it up or anything. No. Um, but, you know, that, that aside, we did uh, want to give you an update on uh, the elk situation. Um, so far, they've had uh, a few days in a row of uh, zero positive tests. Uh, so it looks like they are well sure. on their way to resuming team activities on Wednesday, September 1st. Turning, they're turning a corner. <laughs> and they're turning a corner. And um, in possibly, well, in, in related news, they have released offensive lineman Jacob Ruby for violating COVID protocols. Yeah. Um, there were some rumors emphasize, out there. Yeah. The rumor, we should emphasize that there, there was something put out there that was later uh, retracted. So we're not really sure about the, the circumstances yet. But either, either way, you're violating a, co- a, a protocol that's been put in place and you knew it, you signed off on it. So regardless of how you violated it, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's it's from all intents purposes, it's not hard to not violate it. So in the NFL, you get fined. In the CFL, bye. And that's a great statement. Although I did see some fans con- uh, putting out the conjectures, like how can he fit into our team? And I'm and I'm just thinking to myself, nope. You really want that? Do nope. you really? Do you well, really? He may, um, maybe he, you know, by next year you might see somebody pick him up, but yeah, it ain't, it ain't gonna happen this year. Probably not. No. And now to what everybody tunes into our show for: yeah. fantasy and betting advice. Oh, boy. 
the, the, the questionable part of the program. <laughs> Dude, I have a wonderful, you know, I took Vernon Adams at quarterback and, and, and I got too wrapped up with the Ticats 0-2 start. And I didn't really, I almost forgot that there was no, the issue wasn't their de- their defense stopping guys. No. Nope. Um, but realistically, how, I mean, I, I'm not sure you're getting great fantasy stats out of anybody in, in any of the other two games either. Nope. And last wow. week, last week is honestly for a lot of people probably a crapshoot, um, just based on that. This week, I said, well, the Argos have had uh, had some time off. I'm loading up on Argos. I got Arbuckle as my quarterback, DJ Foster, and Eric Rogers uh, on my team. Ooh. And yeah. So I'm uh, I'm banking on the Argos having a very good day. Well, here's the th- I I haven't even picked yet, <laughs> but I'll end up changing the team so many times between now and Friday. I mean, heck, I I had the the almost not rush home on Sunday, but it was like I had taken Darvin Adams, but I was like, oh shit, he he. His status is, seems to be up in the air, so better get him out and put Kenny Lawler in. And of course, Kenny Lawler, my lock has has you know a a long touchdown catch taken off the board as they determined he'd been downed. Um, but I think finally, for the first time last week, one of my running backs or you know skill position, wide running back or wide receiver guy, or my flex guys, actually got a touchdown. First time all season. Huh. That's not bad. Yeah. But uh well, it, it, it only for for the only the second week I actually have my lineup set for fantasy. So, um I kept I kept talking about things and then I would move in and out and I think I only ended up having three guys actually in my lineup last week. So, yeah. Um Doug, do you have you even looked at your your fantasy at all yet? Not really. I'm just kind of okay. Just kind well, of look, kind of looking into it, seeing see what I seeing what I can come up with because I know I've been I haven't been floating all that good this <laughs> season either. So, well, uh, you know, we're I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm going heavy Argos. So let's get to the picks. Friday night we've got the uh, Montreal Alouettes in Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks with, uh, well, looks the very, very shaky quarterback situation there. Montreal's favored by six and a half. And despite their offense <laughs> showing in Hamilton, I'm taking Montreal plus points. Yeah, I have no, I'm taking the under. Yeah, but 42, 42 and a half on the over-under. I, I would take the under two. Ottawa's defense is playing okay, but when your offense is so bad, you can't take any risks. 
you can't play as aggressive as maybe you want to because you'll get, you know, tired. If you send the house and you get burned, you know, your offense isn't going to be able to, to come back for you. Yep. And, you know, Matt, Nick, I don't think Dominic Davis is the answer for them either. <laughs> but at the same time, Dominic Davis is a warm body. He, they got to figure out if he still sucks. I'll answer that. Yes, <laughs> Doug. Who do you who do you got in this game? Um, I gotta go Montreal because I think the I think that game against Hamilton was just a was a blip. I think they're just gonna I think they're just gonna they're gonna roll Ottawa. All right, Sunday in Saskatchewan, Winnipeg comes to town. Um, this is traditionally the game where Saskatchewan has an unsung hero show up and make Winnipeg look stupid. Um, Saskatchewan's favored by four and a half, and the over-under is 43. I'm taking Saskatchewan to make Winnipeg look stupid again, um, but I'm not taking the points. What do you guys got? Well, you know, Will's taking Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I got, I think I got to take the big green machine here. All right. And then Monday, we've got the double header. We'll get to the uh, main event, which happens at 1 PM in Hamilton. Uh, But we'll start off with the, Undercard, but it actually happens at 4.30 Eastern just because it happens out, out west. Uh, we've got Edmonton and Calgary. Calgary's favored by six points. Over under is 42.5. Will, are you taking the Elks or the Stampeders? Well, Calgary lost a tough one to Winnipeg. Jake Mayer is really shown me something so I'm taking the Stampeders at home Doug Edmonton is culturally a mess so Calgary's going to roll them yeah I, I normally subscribe to the theory of ABC anybody but Calgary um, but I just I think Calgary is going to come in more prepared. Uh, Jake Mayer looks like he belongs as a starting quarterback. Um, and I just don't think that their Edmonton's going to get it, get it on track. I'll take Calgary um, plus the points. And then the main event, Toronto in Hamilton, Labor Day classic Hamilton's favored by two and a half over under is 44. How much is Toronto winning by? Please just win. <laughs> it's been since 2012 we've won on Labor Day. Please. Well, I, I said from the beginning I'm taking Toronto. Um, and I think it's going to be a, a, at least a touchdown margin of victory.
but I probably would not bet the over. I would take the under on this. You know, are we talk. Uh, I wish we could just have like one of those, you know, Doug Flutie era blowouts on Labor Day. You know, forty six to three or whatever it was. You know, uh, that would be nice. <laughs> Doug, how how many are the Argos winning by? Fifty five. <laughs> so you're taking the over. I guess. Oh oh yeah, the, the the Argos will hit the over just by themselves. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's like I said, there's an awful lot off the field that's going against the Argos here. But I've said it the last couple of seasons where. The Argos are usually good for a, a Labor Day win each election year. <laughs> they are due for they are due to win this time, and I think with this team they are going to win this time. Just a just a and I, and quite frankly, I just want to see the aftermath. I want to see I want to I want to see a black and yellow meltdown. Just just so I could just so I can rub it in a box J and Josh Smith. Uh, yeah, I want to. Well, you, I really want to rub it in. I really do. I've got meme set up and everything. All right. All right, gentlemen, you have three minutes, and you better make it good. Three minutes, and we're out of here. We got three minutes, and we're out. Is this thing on? Yeah. Are you hearing it? Okay. Uh. Well, did you get manage to get your uh, kosher rankings done? No, I have not yet. Okay. Didn't really play yet, so. Ah, okay. Yeah, because, uh, well, last week we recorded the show before the pork rankings came out, and this week we've and this week we've got pork rankings. Yay! And uh, Clay, I think you're gonna like this one because the writers are considered bacon this week. I like bacon. Bacon's good. So yeah. do I. <laughs> keep, keep in mind that, the, however, the comment is, keep in mind that this is the bacon that comes in a box already cooked. Probably like la- like probably last week. Just re- heat those bad boys and enjoy. Is that like the instant bacon? Yeah, where it's like five seconds in the microwave and you're done. Yeah, ew. <laughs> it's not the greatest thing, but... It's it, still bacon. It's still bacon. Technically. It's still from a pig? Yep. It's okay, I don't know. <laughs> it's just freeze-dried bacon is what it is. Oh, so space bacon is what you're saying. Somewhat, yes. Hmm. The riders are space bacon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what else? Uh, we got? All right, we, okay, the, the Argos are considered bacon bits, considering we didn't play this week. So, and not that, and not, and not that fake bacon crap either. This is the real thing. The stuff that barely didn't qualify for the box above, it tastes great on the baked taters. Bacon bits. Still bacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Do I do I want to continue going on this? Because I know the bombers are, uh, are the. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. It. They're they're the front pork cheeks. Right. So. Beautifully right. cured meat, salty and delicious. If you don't have bacon, this this will work just fine. Uh, Thai cats are prosciutto this week. This is redemption pork. 
Grab it at your local Italian market. It's so versatile. You can cook with it or just or you can just hurdle it into a sandwich. That is true. You can. And I have done so repeatedly and often. Uh, let's see. The stamps are chorizo. Uh, it's that little bit of spice that makes you love it so much. It may look just like a regular sausage, but when you at least expect it, it'll surprise you. Chorizo will actually do that. And we as well a little bit. Uh, let's see. The lions are sweet and sour pork. Uh, the name pretty much says it all. Sometimes you get that glorious sweetness. Other times it's a bit too sour. But in the end, it's quite good. Uh, <laughs> the elks have moved up from WTF meat to... They've actually moved up to raw pork. Oh, damn. They're actually pork this week. Yeah, they're, actually, they're an actual pork product now. Uh, in the U.S., you only need to cook your pork to about 145 degrees Fahrenheit, but in Canada, you they recommend 160 degrees, or else you get sick. Yeah, you get the trick at... Um, um, <laughs> uh, trick at... Trick at... Trick at... Trick Trigonosis? Trigonosis? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically, if you don't cook the fuck out of beer meat, that's you get the same parasite. Hmm. Ah, uh, you get sick from the, the lady, the, the the um Livia Soprano was talked talked about trichinosis on uh, Sopranos once. <laughs> uh, let's see. The owls are MSM pork, mechanically separated meat. Pork <laughs> just flung. Out of mesh in the hopes of getting something good out of the other side. No aim needed. Just fling it and pray. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> basically, just basically, just take a whole hog and throw it at it. You just throw it into a grinder, and then whatever gets or throw it into a friggin' wood chip. Wood chip. Yes. You get whatever gets splattered out. You. That's what you end up at the end of it. Uh, and the Red Blacks are football ham. <laughs> you know that tiny ham from the grocery store? The one shaped like a football? Really generic flavor and about as unoffensive as you can get. Yeah, but that ham can be pretty good once in a while. It can be, yeah. It all depends on how you cook it. Add your own glaze to it. But yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that actually does describe the Red Blacks. What's well, a football ham? <laughs> I know where you're going with this. <laughs> but I think I better say it. It's a ham shaped like a football. <sighs> Why? Right. Is, it, is it bad? Like, is uh, it... Uh, apparently, well, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like, well, it's not like, uh, uh, it's not like WTF meat, but I mean, it's the worst out of the bunch this week. Yeah. Prosciutto. Why did Hamilton get prosciutto? Prosciutto's good. Oh, they were they were fourth in the ranking. I know, but yeah. I like prosciutto. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean you have to stop eating prosciutto because Hamilton is fucking ranked as them. Mm. Yeah. That'd be that'd be pretty dull. That would make life pretty dull if you ask me. How come summer wasn't the gabagoo? Yeah, we got we still got bacon, so we're good. Yeah, we still got yeah, exactly. We still got bacon. There's no problem there. I had bacon on my sub the other day. Was it kosher bacon? 
No. <laughs> as long as I apologize by sundown on the 16th, it's all good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, next week, we want the kosher rankings. Um, yes. Okay. Well, it, it is Rosh Hashanah, so I will be seeing some more Jewish food that can jog my... Um, Memory. Or imagine, uh, not imagination, but uh, ideas for certain dishes to to use. Yeah. You got to understand some of it's controversial, too, because um, so it's just a preview for everybody. You know, there's the, the gefilte fish, which is, um, well, it's this, it's uh, a dish made from a poached mixture of ground deboned fish. Now, there are Jewish people who really, 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 really love this. And there are Jewish people who really, 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 really hate this. I fall into this, the, the corner that really, 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 really hates it. <laughs> so, no, I it's don't see be, it. It'll probably be whatever the number eight team is, or number nine team is. All right. Number eight will also likely be chopped liver. <laughs> Which, if you Google chopped liver... Yes, it looks like it's exactly what it looks like. And it's yeah. usually usually preceded by the words "What am I?" Yeah, it's gross. All right, Doug. What else we got? Uh, our good friends, Argonaut fans from Kazakhstan. Oh, they have been I they love. have been knocking it out of the park this week. It's in the build up. And the players are really getting into it too, aren't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I, like I know Ben respond. I know Ben from Exes and Argos. He uh, he responded to one of their tweets in Kazakh, which is really cool. Yeah, well, Google Translate works for us mm. too. Mm-hmm. But so uh, what? So which which tweet are you highlighting from them? Uh, I've got a because no. I've got one that I like. Um, and it was, it's actually, it came, um, a couple days ago. Uh, there's a, an American from San Antonio, um, who just started watching the Canadian Football League this year, and he needs to pick a squad to root for. So he obviously, like, you know, oh, in the past. Um, and then the, the Argonauts fans from Kazakhstan replied, Something in Kazakh that I can't read, but the Google Translate, and, and it, it's pretty, pretty tame. Toronto Argos is the only choice. All other teams hate us because they are not us. Come, I will save you some yak milk. It was the yak milk for me. Uh, there's actually a, there's actually a couple that I like. There's that because I mean, like I said, they just knock it out of the park. Um, one was a there was one, yeah. There, there's okay, so there's two in particular. Both both came both started both were started by Joan Breskison. First one was just a simple question of how is everyone's day going, and they and they put. I finished my shift at the potassium mine. It's all right. I drink now. 
Makes sense. Makes sense, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, another one came from... Uh, well, the start of the thread was, just got the worst cold brew from Tim Hortons. I was literally given a cup of ice, milk with ice. That's Jawan's. His mother, I believe, says, LOL, I told you to take that... St- that Starbucks gift card, they never disappoint. Argo, fan, Argo fans from Kazakhstan. Always listen to your mother. My mother always told me not to marry my wife. But now my wife looks ugly. Shrek is <laughs> as cute as my wife. <laughs> oh. I, I, we need a translator so we can find a way to have these guys on our show. Because he doesn't speak English, <laughs> but <laughs> I, if I could ha- if I could take a crash course in Kazakh, I would. Yeah. Because because I mean, it would, I would have to dig really really deep into the Polish bit of my brain, so I would at least have some idea, some basic idea. I'll be like, go slow, go slow, <laughs> because <laughs> because I, I'm gonna be able to barely understand you, but at least you can get the at least you can get the gist. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I, that, that account is, I mean, just what they've done is just amazing. Like they've been, they've been chirping as well. They've been putting out some great chirps as well. Yep. Again, against the, against the cats. Oh, it's, I mean, they, like I said, I'm just, I just love them to death. (laughs) All right. Well, is, is there anything else um, that we got going on? Because oh, I got. Well, I know it. Uh, I just got one last thing. I want to relay my personal thanks to you, Clay. Um, because of a very generous donation that you gave to the Double Blue Order. Um, you have you you have actually parked a web address for our group. And right now it directs, it just directs to our store. So doubleblueorder.ca, so all one word, doubleblueorder.ca goes right to the store. So you don't have to screw around with a long ass URL from TeePublic. You can just go doubleblueorder.ca, goes right there, get your, get your, gear especially the welcome to hamilton t-shirt i want to see at least one person one other person at at bmo field wearing that t-shirt come september 10th (laughs) i don't care who the hell it is hell i might even get it myself point is i want to see at least one person wearing that shirt and you can get there easily now doubleblueorder.ca and hopefully within the next little while, I'll have to start relearning HTML all over again, and maybe I'll actually get a site up. Yeah, site or, or, we, or just yeah, just a, just some uh, a landing page to point to the various things. So yeah, yeah we can so, we can we can work work with that. Yeah. So like I said, thank you very much, Clay. You've helped us out massively with that. No problem. Hey, I I you guys gave me a free T-shirt. It's the only. I would you know, gladly pay you know, thirty dollars. Very nice, bucks. if I may say yeah. so. Yeah. Sorry, what was nice. that? Well, t-shirt is very nice, if I may say so. Oh. It wasn't wrinkled. It wasn't. 
and, and everybody commented, you know, on it. <laughs> well, I'm, gl- well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm, sh- and I'm sure a mutual friend of ours will be glad to hear that. Nick? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that does it for this episode of the Argos FanCast. And one of Real our quick. longest. Yeah, one of our longest. Well, you know, when you talk to Paul Woods, you just – it's – you can't not keep going with that conversation. We probably could have gone, still been going, but we had other things we got to talk to talk about. So, if we so, had, if we if we had another half hour, I think we could have shoehorned in some uniform talk. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at ArgoFans or at www.argofans.com. Doug, where can they find you? You can find me also on Twitter at DougB519. You can find our, my group, The Double Blue Order, on Facebook at facebook.com slash doubleblueorder. On Twitter at doubleblueorder. P.S. There's going to be memes going to be going on throughout the week. Uh, through there, at the Double Blue Order on Instagram. Don't know about that. And you can find our, you can find our store at doubleblueorder.ca. Get your Welcome to Hamilton t-shirts. <laughs> and you can find me at All Kinds of Clay on the Twitter and Instagram machines. You can find our show at Argos Fancast on the Twitter machine. I want to thank Paul Woods for joining us. Go check, go uh, get his book on sale September 1st. Amazon and pretty much everywhere else you can get books. And a couple days later in stores. That does it, does it for the Argos fan cast this week. Join us when we celebrate Labor Day win. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>